You're listening to the Ghost Goal Podcast. Gerard with space. Tick towards Barosh. He's beat Tick through it. The goalkeeper made contact. Luis Garcia was in front of the line. Gallas hooked it away. things off on Saturday with their sixth straight EPL win, defeating Southampton 3-0. Klopp's men are perfect on the season in all competitions. Manchester City blank Cardiff City 5-0 on the road. Aguero, who recently signed a new deal, scored his 300, scored in his 300th appearance for Manchester City. Manchester United drew with newcomers Wolverhampton Wanderers. Wolves have now drawn both City and United on the road this season. And Tottenham won 2-1 at Brighton thanks to goals from Harry Kane and Lamella. West Ham were able to hold Chelsea off to a 0-0 draw early on Sunday morning, ending the Blues' early season win streak. And Arsenal won 2-0 over Everton thanks to goals from Lacazette and Aubameyang. Welcome to the Ghost Goal Podcast. As always, I'm Andrew Passaro. Pleased to be joined by my only co-host who has a Twitter at ASMoss92, also known as Alex Moss. What up? How we doing, buddy? We're doing. We're doing. Uh, we're doing. That's all I can say. Lot, lots of We're doing, doing it all. Uh, let's get right into it. Yeah, we're doing it all. Uh, just the two of us tonight. Javier had some other things going on, so we, we uh, you know, the pod stops for no man, as we know this. Uh, but follow us on Twitter at Andrew Passaro, at ASMoss92, at Ghost Goal Pod. Uh, do you want to start with Liverpool or do you want to start with City? I'm going to give you the option here. Sure, Liverpool. Sure, you could use. A I good mean, this game was thing. over at halftime, so <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, three nil, nice and easy win over Southampton. Jardin uh, Shakiri getting his first start for Liverpool, and the big news uh, along the back line was Joe Gomez was rested for the first time all season. First game he set out all year with uh, Joel Matip, who was injured early in the season, returning to the lineup. Uh, honestly, a pretty comfortable win for Liverpool. Southampton really didn't challenge. At all, I was able to turn this game. Well, I didn't turn it off, but I switched to watching the game on my phone and pulled up, uh, um, let's just say, a source to watch the Manchester United game for the last thirty minutes of that game. Not going to say where. Not going to say if it was your, uh, your NBC you know Gold subscription, right, Andrew? Yeah, yeah. I'm, uh, maybe, maybe I have pay. a plug. Maybe I have a plug. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Maybe maybe I've got a plug. But honestly, like, so first goal Shakiri creates doesn't get credit for that. That's the person I feel the worst for about this whole Liverpool win is that Jordan Shakiri gets absolutely uh, nothing on the score sheet. He created two out of the three goals. So the first one, which was an own goal from Hoyt, uh, the uh, third goal, which was scored by Salah on a tap in after a thunderous free kick from about I would say between twenty five and thirty yards out uh, for Shakiri. And then he gets dragged off and, at halftime. Uh, <laughs> What was that? He's dragged off at halftime, <laughs> which I honestly think Klopp knew that he was going to be using him midweek against Chelsea, which we'll talk Probably, about a little bit later yeah. in the pod. So he's like, why why waste the legs? Um, and I think that was a smart move. And the most concerning thing for Liverpool fans that happened in this game was uh, Virgil van Dijk leaving the field in the second half, holding his stomach. Uh, it was later reported that he had had bruised ribs um, and he had previously been dealing with bruised ribs. So he must have ag- aggravated the injury. I do not expect to see him in the middle of the week for Liverpool against uh, Chelsea. But 
all in all, like this was probably the easiest performance of the year. Southampton look like they could not challenge at all. Now they were missing Danny Ings, who could not participate because he's still owned by Liverpool. Um, so there wasn't much that they were really going to threaten with, but this was a try to stop the bleeding type of lineup and they really did not stop the bleeding. Um, and I have a quick stat here. Southampton have only won four times in the Premier League since they sold Virgil van Dijk last January. Not great, Bob. <laughs> I, I know that's slightly <laughs> no. overused on this podcast, but you know, it's just the first thing that springs to mind whenever you read a stat out like that is like, not great, Bob. Yeah, he shows how important he is. And I heard a few of the commentators say during the uh, during the game, something along the lines of, oh, yeah, Southampton have brought in Yannick Vestergaard to be their Van Dyke replacement. You know, he's a big presence in the back line. I was just like, just because he's 6'6", or whatever he is, like an absolute giant, doesn't mean that he's anywhere near the player that Virgil Van Dyke is. Like, being big is not what makes Virgil Van Dyke like, as, as good as he is. There's plenty of good, big defenders out there what makes him amazing is that he's just an absolute magnet to the ball on balls into the box and he can play with the ball at his feet too and yeah it's uh hopefully that doesn't keep him out for too long but then Matip stepped up and played well scored a goal obviously and Gomez came in and you guys didn't look like you missed a step with uh Gomez in there basically uh duplicating Van Dyke's role I'm so excited about this, about Joe Gomez. I mean, I, I know I've talked about this before, but uh, I'm excited to see him play as a center back, which is his natural position. It's why they they bought him when they did, but, and he's kind of gotten pushed out wide, but he's just a solid defender. He's good with the ball at his feet. He's pacey. And he, he looks like a guy who Van Dyke is going to kind of groom into potentially like a player who can be like another leader on the back line. He, he just, he really, really excites me. So I'm really happy to see where he is. I'm, I'm, said it before on Twitter and I got some backlash for it, but I think he's a top five defender in this year's Premier League. I'm not saying like, you know, when FIFA comes out on Friday, is he he's not going to be rated a top five defender. That's not what I mean. I think so far this season he has shown, I mean, Liverpool have the best defensive record and he's shown a cool head, which is surprising for a player at his age. And he's played exactly the part. I don't even know if he's picked up a yellow card well, this I mean, season. He's all of his tackles. All you need to say about his performances is that Matip is back. Matip played well in this game. And yet, barring injury, I don't really doubt on Saturday when Chelsea and Liverpool play in the game that actually really matters, it will be uh, Van Dijk and Gomez that start in that back two. It's not going to be Matip unless, Matip unless some sort of injury happens or something. And we're not even thinking about Daniel Lovren coming back into the fold yet. So, yeah, things look good for you guys rotationally, at the, especially at the back. And before we uh, finish talking about our defenders, I just want to say a quick hat tip to Trent Alexander-Arnold, who played in that ball for uh, Joel Matip. Fantasy points. I really love him on free Fantasy kicks. Fantasy points. Fantasy points. Fantasy points. All right, let's jump over to Manchester City's just cutthroat performance at at Cardiff City. Aguero in the 32nd, Bernardo Silva in the 35th, Ilkay Gundogan in the 44th, and Riyad Mahrez scoring his first Manchester City goals in the 67th and 89th minute. Uh, Bernardo Silva, I know I've said this before, has really made us think about it. just this team is so stacked. Like Kevin De Bruyne's still not back, and Bernardo Silva is just doing everything. Like. I don't know. I'm coming up. I'm failing to come up with like anything new to, to say about Manchester City. You just know that they're going to go out and, and cut teams apart and score goals. Like I don't know what else to say at this point. Well, we, we knew they were going to win based off of our like varying. Well, I think Javier had 3-0. I had 4-0. You had 5-0. And obviously, Mares gets that fifth goal in the 89th minute to take away the uh, the pick from me. Uh, 
It's. I don't think any of us or anyone in particular thought there was any chance of City dropping points here. It was just kind of how would they react to losing that first game of the season at home to Leon in, in midweek. And obviously this was the right reaction. It helps to have Aguero starting the game. And he obviously got on the score sheet, uh, I wouldn't say like too early. Actually, uh, one surprising thing you could probably take away from this game is the fact that it took them uh, half an hour to break down Cardiff. So uh, it's it's probably the right result. It's a result you probably would have guessed before the season, before you saw either of these two teams play at all in the Premier League. And uh, I'm sure City are just happy to get through it without any like significant injuries or anything like that. Because that yeah, game was rough I mean, last like year that, in the FA Cup yeah, when they played. There yeah. were some questionable tackles too. Yeah, and uh, I was watching Match of the Day highlights and they brought that up in particular too. And that is that is a good point. I mean, they got they got out of there. They got their win. Uh, I think Mahrez getting on the board is good. I mean, you never want to see a player who transfers for that high waiting to get his goal, his first goal. He gets two. I know I trolled City online on Wednesday because I'm going to always troll City on when they when they fail to do anything. Um, I mean, honestly, like it's just what I do. It's what I'm always going to do. But I'm not shocked. I mean, Leon are a significantly better team than Cardiff. City. I mean, it's, just, it's, so, just, it's, um, it's uh, reaffirming what we know about City, where sitting deep and playing a park the bus style isn't necessarily going to work against them. As a matter of fact, it's probably the worst, worst option to take. You need to be a good side with quality going forward, like Leon are, uh, for all their faults at the back. They're good in midfield, strong in midfield, and they've got good, incisive attacking players. Those kinds of teams, obviously just like Liverpool, are going to have success against City this year. All right, let's jump over to uh, Manchester City's neighbors, Manchester United, who drew with Wolves. Fred scoring his first Premier League goal in the 18th minute, and uh, John Moutinho also getting his first Premier League goal in the 53rd minute. So like I said earlier, I did get to watch the last half hour of this game, and I was really... uh, I was impressed with Wolves, but I was more so disappointed with United, who had chance after chance. But their only attacking strategy, by the amount of time that I had put the game on, and I've gone back and watched highlights, but was get the ball wide to Pogba and have basically on a straight line Lukaku Fellaini trying to head balls in. And like that was their strategy with 30 minutes left in the match. And and also, too, Alexis Sanchez missed a free kick, which he got the uh, got yelled at by some teammates for going for glory. Um, tried to to ping a ball from across the box into the top uh, top right corner. Completely missed. I just look uh, I'm a I've said this about Wolves. I picked them to finish seventh in the Premier League. I think that this is probably the best promoted side we've seen in a long time. Uh, they've got a ton of veterans all over the field. Um, I'm not surprised by this result. I did pick United to win because I thought that they were kind of cruising a little bit, but it, it's the same questions we've been asking about Manchester United to tack. It's who's going to step up and be the guy. And I mean, Pogba was at least putting balls in a threatening position, but this is, you know, this is very route one football, which for a team with the riches that United have, you got to be you got to be asking harder questions than just route one football. In my for mind. sure, and it's been a topic of conversation with uh, the fans, and I think it was Pogba himself made a comment to uh, I, I can't remember where it was or at one point after the match he said this, but he was saying something along the lines of I like the, I want man I want us to attack more when we're at home. I don't think he really cares who the opposition are, but especially in a game like this, which, like you said, Wolves are a very good team, but a team of Manchester United's quality and stature expects to be the aggressor in these in these home games. And you just see far many, far too many long spells of possession for the opposition, where you're just thinking, like, man, United are sitting 
they're sitting like a little bit too deep for my liking. Like they haven't been in the opposition's like uh, defensive third for what seems like 10 to 15 minutes. And the hoof ball, maybe not hoof ball, that's not the right word strategy to call it, but the direct balls you talked about, they just kind of seem like a like United just settling, just not really willing to get out of their defensive shape too much, that they bring players out of position and allow spaces in behind for Wolves if they eventually get the ball back. They're just not willing to take those risks, and that's under Jose Mourinho's instruction. But they've also got to find some wiggle room, some some room to uh, be themselves when they're on the ball and actually make runs into spaces rather than thinking what's behind them, start thinking a little bit more of where can I get uh, further forward, further up the pitch, that's going to present an option to the great passers that they do have in, in their midfield. You know, Pogba's perfectly capable of picking out Alexis and uh, Lukaku and plenty of other runners from other areas. It's It's got to improve because at no point during, even when United were up 1-0, did I ever think that they like had, were capable of killing that game off, which is something that you th- you'd think aside playing uh, that kind of style like United are, you'd think that's what United would be looking to do. But I, I kind of felt it coming the entire time United were up 1-0. And Wolves were worth their goal. That was a great, yep. It was a really well-worked goal from Jimenez out to uh, Jean Moutinho, who put it top corner perfectly. No, I totally agree with you. And the other thing I want to say, too, is I was really impressed with Raul Jimenez in this game. I mean, Jimenez went to Atletico Madrid a couple of years ago, was a highly touted up-and-coming Mexican striker, and completely flopped. He went uh, went to Portugal, went around. For him to come to the Premier League, I, I never was like, yeah, he had been around, but he had never kind of been like the guy. And his hold-up play in particular against United, his passing was on point. He did everything Fancy points for him. He gets the assist. gets the assist. Um, really, really impressed with him in this game. Not looking forward to having to play Wolves still yet for Liverpool. Let's jump to the 1230 game. Brighton uh, 1, Tottenham 2. Harry Kane penalty in the 42nd minute. Lamella in the 76. And Knockhart gets a consolation goal. I know Brighton were in this game more than the scoreline says, but but how did you feel about their performance on uh, on Saturday from, from both sides? Because I know we've highlighted that Brighton have been a good team this year. It, Brighton, just for me, they don't, they don't take the chances that big teams offer them. Uh, they don't take them nearly enough or nearly frequently enough. And they were presented with some pretty good chances during this game that they just weren't managed to convert into actual goals. And 2-1 probably is, probably reflects like who deserved to win. You know, I, I don't want to say Tottenham were lucky to go ahead because it was uh, a handball on the, from, I think, Glenn Murray in the wall that was struck by a free kick that gave away the penalty near the end of the first half. But, you know, it kind of felt like a it kind of felt like a get out of jail free card for Tottenham. Like, all right, here's the lead going into halftime. Enjoy that. And Tottenham from there were just able to sort of manage the game through possession. Obviously, got the second goal from the substitute Eric Lamella. And from there, there were like the odd few moments that make you kind of think, despite Tottenham winning, they're not completely out of the funk just yet. It's just one of those games where you're just like, all right, let's just get a win. Let's just get back on track and manage to just stop the bleeding like a little bit. It was a good one for them, I think. I think I agree with you. I think this is a big like get back on the horse type win that Tottenham needed, especially after the loss to Inter, the the loss to Liverpool last weekend. The biggest thing that that Tottenham needed was a positive. They got that. They played in quote unquote prime time across the world, so or across the U.S. and across the U.K. So this was a result that they needed. 
it wasn't perfect, but they got what they needed. They need to get healthy and they need to get back on the same page. And and I, I still have Tottenham in my top four. I still think that they're going to come into third place. But oh, I don't. I, I mean, and the new stadium thing is a whole other can of worms, but it is what it is. Uh, we'll jump to Sunday. West Ham nil, Chelsea nil. I know you were worried about this game, Alex. I know a couple other Chelsea fans yeah, were worried about you, this. How did you feel about the Before I say anything, can you answer to the 4-1 prediction that you tried to uh, trot out there? 4-1? Uh, well, yeah, I mean... Four one. Every Chelsea fan on the internet who has an opinion is telling me that that Eden Hazard's the best attacker in the Premier League, and I know that the West Ham backline and midfield is absolutely trash. Okay. So I figured I you're have, just going to feed the best player, quote have, unquote, in the I Premier have League. A, a, a whole bunch of podcast balls. in and of itself about Chelsea Twitter because it's a very frustrating place where everyone is very young and very naive. <laughs> but uh, it was a continuation from last season, and obviously seasons past, where as Eden Hazard went. Chelsea kind of as a whole went. It didn't help that we had uh, one pretty glaring miss that I think affected the how the rest of the team played, where uh, Pedro got injured in the Europa League on uh, Thursday night. He had clashed with the goalkeeper on a 1v1 right near the end of the game against Pauk. Had to come up. It looked like he like dislocated his shoulder. It looked like what happened to Mo Salah happened nice. to him. And so uh, he, he tweeted afterwards that everything's okay and that he felt fine and everything like that. But uh, I think just to be safe, they kept him out of this game. And with Williams starting on that right wing, there wasn't any sort of willing runner who could get in behind uh, West Ham's like pretty packed back line and actually keep them honest and, c- and create those spaces just in front of the back line for the likes of Hazard and uh, Kovacic and, and uh, Giroud dropping in to sort of get a foothold in the game. Every time... Jorginho or Kante or one of our one of the players in our backline would try one of those uh, driven passes that broke the lines and went forward to either Olivier Giroud or Eden Hazard. Like three players would all come darting inwards to try and get on the end of the pass, and West Ham would just have four or five midfielders and defenders there all breaking it up, and it was just screaming for someone out wide to just sort of overlap and start playing inconsistent balls from wide positions, but like. Alonso and Aspilicueta just like they weren't willing to do it. They weren't willing to do it at all. They were too busy trying to like make sure that West Ham didn't score on it against us on the counter, which they might have been able to do if they had a little bit better of finishing. So no no at the end of the day, like kind of disappointing, but like there weren't enough good performances all over the field uh, from from Chelsea to really say that we deserved to win the game. It, it feels more like phew, we got out of there with a point. So is this a title-challenging team from Sarri or not, or am I asking the question way too early? I mean, definitely way too early. Title challenge, sure, but probably in the same way that like Mourinho's first team when he came back to Chelsea, they they challenged for the title with Liverpool and Manchester City, but we were maybe a good like four or five points off the pace the whole way, like going into the the run in, like we were there. If either of you guys slipped up, we weren't quite like within like two or three points, like a game uh, of of getting to the title. So this team is perfectly capable of locking up top four a, a lot earlier, which is something I want to see us do. I want to make it like a foregone conclusion by February or or uh, March that we are going to be a top four team. Um, and so staying undefeated in that regard is uh, is not terrible, especially in a place that we don't usually do too well. 
I mean, you're still up there, right on top of the table. You're ahead of United. You're on points with with City. You're right, by, two points behind Liverpool. Like, for a new manager, for a lot of questions about who's going to be playing the starting striker position, I, the way everything is kind of playing out at Chelsea is a lot better than I thought things were going to be playing out. And that's as a neutral. Uh, funny, funny, uh, funny side note about that you made about that uh, Manchester City Liverpool season. I find it hilarious that in a season where City quote unquote won the title, everyone remembers that season because of the. Liverpool title challenge. No one remembers the fact that City won the title that year. Everyone remembers Liverpool. Because you threw just, away the league. If you're, <laughs> you if, gifted yeah, but that's City what I'm saying, though. Title. Man, <laughs> I know, but what I'm saying, though, is that City won the title that year and they don't even remember City for it, which I find just absolutely hilarious. It's and again, not, it's not it's a good thing, Andrew. It's not a good thing to be the reason that everyone remembers that season and not win the league title. I know, but if I was a City fan, it would stick in my craw. Really I mean, hard. Yaya yeah, Torre's 20 goals are pretty fresh in everyone's mind. He was a monster that season. He was great. Remember when he almost went to Fulham earlier this season and then he didn't? That would have been hilarious. Uh, yeah. Let's go talk about Arsenal's 2-0 victory over Everton. Lacazette, Aubameyang getting on the board. Uh, how did you feel about the Gunners on uh, Sunday afternoon? Or Sunday morning still, technically. Good. Not great. Finally, we saw, finally we saw Torreira start. Right, we've yeah, been calling he was for good. He was enough. a little hampered by an early yellow card he picked up, but he, he still obviously provided the same metronomic like work rate and gave them like good tempo with his passing. So uh, definitely a, a bonus there, and it, it kind of freed up Shaka to play a little bit, a few more of those uh, daring forward passes that uh, everyone's kind of been talking about. That's what would happen if Torreira played next to Shaka. So th- that was nice, but. Everton, I think, still played well for most of that first half. Had some really good chances that, as Javier and I said on the uh, the previews, like Theo Walcott was on the end of a lot of them, and he just we just kind of knew like he wasn't really going to take the chances. You just kind of have a feeling with some players; they're not the type that are going to go back to their old club and just tear it up and score two goals. And uh, then Richarlison looked a bit rusty too. He, he got himself on the ball and was definitely like out there trying to make things happen, but just efforts were just curling a little bit wide or he just wasn't getting the right uh, location on his shots. He, he, but he, uh, he looks like he's still as willing as ever. He just was obviously out of touch. He's been gone for the last three games or something like that. So no, uh, not much football for him during that time. But Arsenal, but Arsenal yeah, I- like obviously in the second half, eventually the quality just showed. Like Lacazette's goal... <laughs> That was it. Was it was probably the nicest in the Premier League this weekend. I couldn't really think of any others. Can you? No, the I championship. Can't. I mean, had at a couple the end of the day, of, uh, absolute yeah. dingers. That uh, the Aston yeah, Villa one. If you haven't seen then, that, uh, yeah, I'll Chelsea's throw that on the Mason Ghost Mount Call Twitter. Had a there, lovely, uh, little free kick in the championship this weekend. Yeah, I heard about that. I saw Alex Goldberg uh, tweeting quite heavily about it. But yeah, I mean. At the end of the day, the cream is always going to rise to the top in a game like Arsenal versus Everton. And uh, honestly, I always felt that for Everton to really get the result, they were going to need Arsenal to to make a drastic mistake and or get a red card. Arsenal made those mistakes uh, still, uh, and Everton weren't willing or able to make them pay for it. They, they turned the ball over trying to pass out in the back early on, which has become kind of a, a staple of these Arsenal games. They start slow, kind of like have to grow into the game and figure out how teams are pressing them. And then once they figure it out, they're usually pretty good at progressing the ball up the field and starting to create opportunities for all the great forward players they have. Aaron Ramsey had two assists in his little uh, number 10 role that he seems to be uh, settling into nicely. Uh, that's probably the best position for him, and which I, uh, 
Love him in that role. Absolutely. Like, Ozil love him wasn't in that role. Uh, terrible, I don't think, but he wasn't obviously as influential on the game as Ramsey and Lacazette and Aubameyang were, being more directly involved in the goals. I have to hand it to Everton, though. I thought they might get scored on a little bit more. I thought they would maybe concede like three, maybe four here. So for uh, Adrissi Gay to have the great game that he had and Kurt Zuma to have a really good game and Lucas Digne, and uh, them to not have Seamus Coleman either. They were starting, what's his name? Uh, Kenny, who's the right back, the backup right back, John Joe Kenny or Patty Kenny or something like that. I can't even remember his name. He's just so far down the uh, the, the squad list for them. But they, they didn't have their full back line and they only conceded two away at the Emirates and they'll pick themselves up and I'm sure play better uh, in, in the future. But that's, that's two losses in a row for Everton now. So the first bump in their season for Marco Silva. And the one bright spot about this game is just the fact that they got uh, they got Richarlison back, but he wasn't obviously able to make much of an impact in this game. Um, they've got a little bit of a run coming up here, though. Uh, with uh, they're gonna play, they're gonna play Fulham, they're gonna play Southampton, they play Leicester, Crystal Palace, and then they'll play at Manchester United. So some opportunity for them to move back up the board, but we'll see how things play out. Now, before we close up shop for today, I will let you just read off uh, Burnley getting a 4-0 victory against Bournemouth, their first three points of the season. Crystal Palace and Newcastle drawing at 0-0. Um, and Leicester beating Huddersfield 3-1. Javier and I tied for the week on points. Uh, I had the City win at 5-0, and I had Liverpool 3-0. He had Leicester's 3-1 win and Tottenham's 2-1 win. Now, before we leave, uh, Liverpool are going to play Chelsea in the Carabao Cup on Wednesday. Um, not really sure who's got the rights for that. Uh, I know in the past it was ESPN, but now they have that ESPN plus thing. So I honestly don't even know where to tell you to go to find this game, but I wish you best of luck in finding it. I'm really fascinated as to what squads are going to go out there because in my opinion, this is the season that Liverpool absolutely have to go for the league cup. Any <laughs> trophy is a trophy. What do you mean? Yes. They the have league, to win like, a Screw the League Cup. You guys should just be like, we don't care about it and just focus on the league and Champions League. While I don't disagree with you, I think Klopp is really teetering on the line of like of guy who just loses finals. He's I not mean, teetering. He's, he's there. He's, <laughs> he's there. He's there. I hate to be the it's, guy. <laughs> it's Yeah, you're, you're right. You're right. And I think I, I just want to see this club be successful and... I'm okay with putting out still a strong lineup. And I know Chelsea have a lot of really talented kids in the academy or, or the reserve side. But, uh, and I was looking at it earlier and it's like all of our top kids that I'm like really excited about are all off on loan with the exception of Rion Brewster, who's not ready to play in this level of competition. If we were playing Waterham sure or we were playing some Throw team from the championship, there. I would love to see him, but he's, he's going up against Chelsea. I don't think this is the, this is the game to, to blood him in, um, I mean Harry Wilson's off at off at Derby. You've got Playing Robin uh, to Ben, ben Woodburn, Batman. All right, he's Ben uh, Ben Woodburn's off at I think Sheffield. You've got a couple kids over at Rangers playing for Steven Gerrard. I mean, literally all of Liverpool's like top prospects are either in the starting eleven on a regular basis right now, or basically on loan. I mean, maybe you see Dom Solanke. Maybe I, the other one that'd be wild. I think it'll be Danny Sturridge who gets the start. But the other one that too that no one's talking about, Danny uh, Divacarigi could make his long-awaited Liverpool return because the club weren't able to sell him in the off-season. Um, I mean, they need to get him performances so that someone will take a flyer on him. Uh, but 
Um, I don't, I don't, I really don't know what's going to go down with this game for, for, for the Liverpool lineup. Uh, I hope James Milner starts because basically the man can do no wrong. Do they play Keita? I don't know. I, the midfield in particular has been. <laughs> Fabinho, I mean, Fabinho, Fabinho should have subbed on instead of Nabi Keita the other day when you guys were up 3-0. Like, that was the perfect opportunity to oh, do I that. Oh, I totally agree. Nate, do you want I, I heard a, a really well, probably not true take, but it was funny to me regardless, that uh, <laughs> it was on another podcast where someone said, what if, like, Klopp got him in, heard all this great stuff about him and, like, the all the brass at Liverpool were telling him, like, how great Fabinho is, and he got him into training and he just realized, man, he's not that good. I don't really like him. <laughs> Like, I know that's nah, probably not I, I true think, because he's a really good player and I personally really do like Fabinho, but it was just kind of funny to think like, oh shit, we've dropped 40 million on this guy. <laughs> I don't like him. I think it's a, I think it's a similar comparison to what happened with Andy Robertson where like all the fans were like, yeah, this guy's going to play right away. And then he didn't. And you saw at the time Alberto Moreno start really hot and you saw the same thing. You've seen Wijnaldum play really well. You've seen Milner play really well. And you like, there's just no, ju- and, and when you've got a guy who's being introduced into a new system and a, and a new surroundings, who's young, I mean, Fabinho still only 24. And I mean, obviously there are other Brazilians on the team, but you get what I'm saying? Like it's, this is a bigger cultural change than Andy Robertson had coming from Hull. This is just more opportunity for Klopp to get them up to speed. I would expect him to play in this game, but I've said that so many times on this podcast that I really can't. I can't. <laughs> we should, go, say we should go back and keep a running so, running tally of that and see how many he gets okay. to before he actually plays. <laughs> it's probably almost every episode at this point. Um, who you, who would you expect to see out there for Chelsea? On, on honestly, uh, probably not too many kids either. It's one of those ones that. You, if it had been a lesser team, like you mentioned for Liverpool, you probably would have seen the likes of Ampadu and Hudson-Odoi start. But because it's uh, Liverpool and it's at Anfield, though, uh, sorry, we'll probably elect for a similar team that played against Pauk uh, on Thursday last week. Uh, you know, Christensen, who's got like enough quality to go and play at Anfield. It wouldn't, it's not the first time he's played there. Uh, Zappacosta, maybe Emerson plays at left back to give Alonso a rest. Uh, Loftus-Cheek is out injured, and he probably would have been a pretty important figure, but you'll, instead you'll probably see Fabregas and uh, uh, Ross Barkley and maybe uh, Danny Drinkwater if we really feel like losing. So, uh, <laughs> Oh, boy. Oh boy. Uh, what's, your, uh, what's your score prediction? Probably, I'd probably say 2-1 Liverpool for this one. That's yeah. right where I'm at. I would just love to see Dom Solanke score the winner. Yeah, I mean, he had the chance to score the winner last week, or not last week, uh, last year against us at Stanford Bridge, and he choked. So I'm not really afraid of him. That's okay. We still made top four. Danny Welbeck. Uh, the Liverpool Liverpool's Danny Welbeck. Dom Salank. Enjoy him. It's fine. He's just a place. He's just a placeholder until Rian Brewster gets, just, gets ready to go. I'm sure he so would love to fine. hear Liverpool fans say that about him. He's just a placeholder. I'm... <laughs> He is. He is. He absolutely is. Because Rion Brewster is going to become the guy in about another year and a half. We'll sell Solanke onto like onto some like Newcastle or some team that can't score goals and needs somebody who also can't tall. score it's fine. goals. We'll, we'll, we'll make like twenty million off of it. It's going to look like a genius investment. I'm not worried about it at all. Um, look out for a midweek episode. I'm trying to set up some interviews, so t- look out for that too. Follow us on Twitter at Andrew Pasau at asmos92 at Ghost pod um you can harass javier on instagram so make him get a twitter it's at javi javier rev javier rev yeah yeah making it really easy to find him I, i like where his head's at so uh that's pretty much it until next time
Stoi, ja.